Hello, everybody. My name's Tori Zbind, and I work for Disciple Makers on the Burks team, mostly at Kutztown and Albright College. And you guys are in the workshop right now called Breaking Free from the Tyranny of Overthinking. And I suspect many of you came to this workshop today because, like me, you struggle with overthinking. And my hope and my prayer is that this workshop begins to give you hope and direction for breaking free from the tyranny that we experience from overthinking. And the key word there is begin. Most likely, you will not be completely free from the shackles of overthinking when you walk out of this room in a couple minutes, because overthinking is complex, and there's no simplistic, trite solution and no quick fixes. Yet, as we dig into scripture together, I hope that you will see that there are answers. As we consider our hearts together, I hope you will see that there is hope and that there are answers, answers that matter, answers that I pray will make a meaningful difference in your life and set you on a different trajectory. So to start us off, I want to give us three quick things to set us on the right path for what this workshop is going to give us. I want to give us a definition, a distinction, and then a direction of where we're going to go with our time, okay? So a definition. When I talk about overthinking, I'm talking about those thoughts that literally keep you up at night. Thoughts that distract you when you're having a conversation. They just keep coming into your head. The thoughts that you daydream and fantasize about. These obsessive thoughts that are not always welcome, but they intrude into your mind. This is the experience of what we often call overthinking. Mike Emlett, a Christian counselor who provided much of the content for this workshop, describes these kind of thoughts this way. He calls them sticky thoughts. Thoughts that an individual can't seem to get out of their mind. These sticky thoughts can make our own minds feel like a prison at times. You want to stop thinking about it, but you can't. Your own mind starts to make you feel trapped. However, these are not just sticky thoughts. These are also anxious thoughts. I don't know if you ever realize that your overthinking is actually a manifestation of anxiety that you are carrying and now circulating in your head. So let me summarize. Definition. What is overthinking? Overthinking is our sticky, anxious thoughts. So that's our definition. I want to give us a quick distinction. When I say overthinking, I am not talking about discernment. In fact, depending on the situation, saying something like, don't overthink it, just go for it, could be biblical foolishness. The Bible encourages us to do the hard work of seeking wisdom, particularly in decision-making. And there's a whole book about it in the book of Proverbs. So I'm not talking about discernment or even deep thinking. If you're having a hard time distinguishing overthinking from deep thinking, I encourage you to talk to someone to help you distinguish between those two things. So that's a distinction. I'm not talking about discernment. And then I want to give us a direction. This entire workshop, we are going to go inward. Rather than give you tips and tricks on how to stop thinking those unwanted thoughts, 
we are going to go inward and ask ourselves why we have these thoughts in the first place. Jesus says it like this in Luke 6. It's actually in your outlines, if you haven't found it already, outlines are on page 32 and 33. On page 33, on the top of your outline, this is what Jesus says. The good person out of the good treasure of his heart produces good. And the evil person out of the evil treasure produces evil. For out of the abundance of the heart, the mouth speaks. What we treasure will occupy our hearts and our minds. Therefore, when we treasure good things in our hearts, healthy thoughts follow and healthy lives follow. When we treasure bad things in our hearts, unhealthy thoughts follow and unhealthy patterns follow. Therefore, in order to understand what is occupying our minds, we need to consider what we are treasuring in our hearts. That's why we are going to go inward first. So for the rest of this workshop, we're going to unpack three things that often occupy our hearts. And those are right there on your outline. Those three things are our need for certainty, guilt, and a fear of man. And we're not, we're not just going to look at these things and how we treasure them. We're actually going to consider how the gospel applies to this and can bring transformation and hope. And we're going to walk through these, each one of these, by watching a video that demonstrates a testimony of someone who struggles with this themselves and how they've walked through it. And then we're going to come back and consider how the gospel and how the scriptures apply to it together. So we're going to jump in right away and consider the need for certainty by watching a video by one of Disciple Maker's staff, Tony Beard, and his struggle with a need for certainty and overthinking in his need for certainty. So let's watch a video. When it comes to a need for certainty, I mean, it's basically what it sounds like. You need to know for sure what's going to be happening next. If I'm going to step out of my comfort zone, I want to know that whatever risk level I'm entering in is going to be okay. You know, when I'm trying to decide little things during the day of what shirt to wear, it's not that big of a deal, but I still think through, okay, who am I going to be in front of, who I'm going to be speaking with, how might my presentation that day impact uh, my interactions with them. It's pretty low risk, but it's still a thought process. In my old job, I used to interact with highly sensitive issues with faculty members, with staff members, with students, and I constantly thought through, if I say this, how are they going to respond? And those aren't necessarily bad things. You want to think through uh, how people respond to you. You want to think through reactions to different actions. But there's times when that need for control just becomes an overwhelming fear. However, the problem when it comes to overthinking and thinking through a need for certainty is sometimes you just won't be certain on those things. Especially as a Christian, in the Christian walk, we know that it's not finally and ultimately in our control. And when we want to know with 100% certainty, beyond a shadow of a doubt, that if we do X, Y is going to happen, that's not always the case. One story of me really fighting for control was when I decided to go into college ministry with Disciple Makers. Part of that process is to support raise the funds you need to do ministry. At this point, I had been working professionally in college settings for over a decade. 
It was really simple. I went to work, I did my job, I went home, I collected a paycheck. All those things were things I could control. I did my work, I did what I needed to do, there was an end result to it. When God started calling us into college ministry, it was a really scary time because almost none of that was really in my control. I fought with God for a long time with the need to control that if I do these things, you, God, will do these things. And that certainty was just not there. I couldn't control that order. And ultimately what happened was for about two months, I was just frozen in fear with what was going to happen. I knew God put this call on our lives for my family, but I was not at all prepared to step out. Uh, it wasn't until some folks really pointed out the fact that I was already trusting God for everything else in my life. If I was trusting God through a job that I didn't particularly care for to provide for us, well, then it became a lot easier to trust him for something he was clearly calling us to. It wasn't until that switch flipped that I learned not to control it myself, to trust myself, but rather allow God to have that control. One passage of scripture that has been especially meaningful uh, for me during this struggle in this time is Psalm 139, specifically verses 7 through 10. Where shall I go from your spirit? Or where shall I flee from your presence? If I ascend to heaven, you are there. If I make my bed in Sheol, you are there. If I take the wings of the morning and dwell in the uttermost parts of the sea, even there your hand shall lead me, and your right hand shall hold me. When I think of being able to trust God, and I look at the scriptures, we see a God who's unchanging. He's always there. He's always present. Especially in Psalm 139, when I can lay my head down wherever, whether it's Sheol, whether it's my comfy bed, whether I'm staying overnight somewhere because I'm on a support-raising trip. Wherever I'm laying my head down, God is there. God is present. And in those moments when I'm starting to feel anxiety, I know I'm not alone, and I'm able to just hand that anxiety over to him. As Tony demonstrates, a need for certainty is a need to know for sure what's going to happen next. It's those what-if thoughts trying to figure out every scenario that circulate in our mind. And our thoughts start to want to eliminate all risks and gain control. And, but this is way more than just a cognitive battle. A battle of trying to eliminate control is not just us trying to make sure no risk can happen. We can always know more. Typically, knowing more doesn't ease our thoughts and our fears. We can know things and still struggle with a need for certainty. That is because this is more than a cognitive battle. This is a battle for trust. Let me say it this way. A need for certainty comes from an issue of trust. There will always be a degree of uncertainty in your life. The question is, who will we trust in that uncertainty? Will you trust yourself and your understanding of things? Or will you trust God? Battling your anxious, sticky thoughts 
when it comes to uncertainty begins with knowing and trusting the God who is in control. That's your first fill-in on your outline. Know the God who is in control. We saw this in Tony's story. Freedom from his overthinking began to come when he gave up his need to control and trust in himself. And he trusted himself upon the grace and providential care of God. Let's look at the passage that he read for us. Psalm 139. It's there in your packets. Oh Lord, you have searched me and you know me. You know when I sit down and when I rise up. You discern my thoughts from afar. You search out my paths and my lying down and are acquainted with all of my ways. Even before a word is on my tongue, behold, oh Lord, you know it all together. You hem me in behind and before. You lay your hand upon me. Such knowledge is too wonderful for me. It is high, I cannot attain it. Do you see in these verses how God knows everything? He knows when we're gonna sit up before we sit up. He knows where we're gonna go. He knows our thoughts from afar. How can we comprehend this? How can we actually understand how God can know all of these things? We can't. Look at verse six. This is how the psalmist comprehends this big God who knows everything. He says, such knowledge is too wonderful for me. It is high. I cannot attain it. He is content to leave the ultimate control in the hands of God because ultimately we are safe in him. Safety is not found in our own reasoning process. We are called to live responsibly before God, but we don't ultimately have responsibility over the oversight of our lives. If your trust is directed towards Jesus, then you're able to act, even if you still have a small measure of doubt. Because reliance upon Jesus helps us to conquer that remaining doubt. In a way, you're doing this right now. You are trusting the chair that you are sitting on to hold you up. Your full weight is depending on it right now. But as far as I know, none of you checked out the reader's manual guide of that chair before you read it, before you sat on it. You didn't need to know its mechanics and its engineering to sit on it. You sat on that chair because you've had past experience with chairs, and that knowledge led you to trust the character of the chair to hold you up. In a similar way, as you learn about the person and character of God, our trust in his character grows in the midst of uncertainty. Understanding God's sovereign and loving care over the details of our lives, of your life, eases the anxiety and fear that results from the humanly impossible task of mastering and controlling our world. You can break free, friends, from overthinking in our need for certainty by trusting in a God who is in control. This is the first thing that commonly fuels our overthinking. This is the first thing our heart treasures as we go inward. Let's move on to the second thing that's on your outline, guilt. 
We're going to watch another video. Another staff, Shannon Fodale, is going to share about her experience of how guilt has led her to anxious and sticky thoughts of overthinking. Let's watch the video. I really struggle with overthinking, particularly if I have a significant conversation. Either I've already had it, or even I can anticipate it and struggle with overthinking. If I've had it, there's usually something I regret that I did, either the way I said it or the way I was acting. The guilt that I feel leads to thinking about this conversation again and again and again, replaying it so that whatever I feel guilty about won't happen or erasing it like it didn't happen. The reality is it did happen. It's not just guilt, it's also shame. Because before the Lord, I know that I didn't image him perfectly. And that sounds ridiculous because none of us are perfect, but I really start to think that my words and my actions can save someone else and, and show them how much the Lord loves them. I know it's not true, but I get stuck in feeling very guilty. Very often, I don't even realize I'm struggling with guilt. And my overthinking is unexpected and intrusive. I'm just going about my life, getting into bed, brush my teeth, go to bed, and all of a sudden, a memory floods my mind. And I just can't stop reliving it and rethinking about it. So Saturday, I had a conversation with my stepmom, and she was sharing her day, and I was eager to talk to her, and I suddenly realized that I had someone to talk to on the phone. And so I said, I, I'll talk to you later. I really need to get going. I'm so sorry. And she wanted to tell me about actually a really sad doctor's appointment. And at that moment, I thought, I need to keep my word and I need to go. And I said, I really need to go. You know, I'm really sorry. You know, I love you. Goodbye. And as soon as I hung up the phone, I knew I felt so guilty, like I should have stayed on the phone. Why did I get off? This was an opportunity for her to know God's love and see it. But I put it aside. It didn't stick, and I took my phone call, and I did the things I had to do. But then that night when I went to bed, I was praying through my day, and my conversation with my stepmom came back. And I replayed the end of that conversation again and again. I wasn't even aware of how many times I had replayed that conversation until finally I realized I wasn't praying for my day. I was talking to my stepmom in my head. And then I just asked God to help me and call to mind scriptures that would be helpful, particularly the fact, like Philippians 2, 12, Shannon, just work out your own salvation. Simultaneously, though, I do feel like I was short with my mom, and I wasn't my stepmom. I wasn't kind, and I wasn't gracious. And so I realized, well, 
I think I need to say something. Sunday, late in the day, I gave her a call and I'm like, I wanted to just revisit how our last conversation ended and I, and I asked her to forgive me for being short. And the wonderful thing is I slept really well on Saturday night once I realized what I was guilty of and what I wasn't guilty of. So 2 Corinthians chapter 7, verse 10 says, For godly grief produces repentance that leads to salvation without regret, whereas worldly grief produces death. If I am guilty and it's godly guilt, I can just repent and I'm forgiven. And then I rejoice. It seems too good to be true, but it's true. Whereas if it's worldly guilt and I'm stuck in it, it leads to death and overthinking and there's no joy in it. So that's just a helpful scripture for me to discern what kind of guilt is this? Guilt that leads to life or guilt that leads to death? And that can really help and transform my overthinking and my sticky thought. As we see in Shannon's story, guilt is the weight you carry from the wrong that you've done. Sometimes it's the wrong that you've done that is actual sin, meaning God's standards that we do not meet. Other times it's from the wrong that you've done that from the self-created rules and laws that you've made, man-made laws. We feel guilt from the ones that we've made up or the culture has made up. When you have these laws or standards, whether God standards or not, sometimes we get this standard of perfection. And when we don't meet this standard of perfection, we start to enter into these cycles of self-atonement. It's a cycle of self-righteousness, of shame and despair. Like, Shane, like Shannon just shared, we repeat the event again and again in our minds, redoing and rehearsing the things that we regret. It's a line of thought that completely bypasses the final sacrifice of Christ. And therefore, that self-atonement thought line has no hope because there's no Christ. Battling our anxious thoughts when it comes to our guilt begins with actually knowing what our sin is and knowing who our savior is. So that's your next fill-in. Battling our guilt, we need to know sin. As Shannon read, it's there in your outline, 2 Corinthians 7.10 says, for godly grief produces repentance that leads to salvation without regret whereas worldly grief produces death. In a similar way, there's two types of guilt. There's godly and there's worldly. One leads to salvation and no regret, aka no guilt, and the other leads to death. In this case, a cycle of doom thoughts. So how how can we engage with this? How can we actually have godly repentance. Learn to know the difference between godly guilt and worldly guilt. Let me explain this. Worldly guilt 
can often be based off the laws that you create in your own mind. They're not God's laws. They actually might even be the culture's laws. And they, they might not even be, they're not God's laws. They might just be a matter of wisdom or a matter of preference or just whatever's trendy that day. As we saw in Shannon's video, we, she found freedom from understanding what she actually did wrong. She was short with her stepmom. And she understood what she was not actually responsible for, her self-imposed laws. She is not responsible for her stepmom's relationship with God. She is re- her, God will work out her stepmom's salvation. By knowing her sin, she was actually able to see what she actually did wrong, which was she was unkind to her stepmom and what she actually self-imposed on herself. Worldly guilt is also often a monologue with yourself rather than a dialogue with God. It is a monologue of self-loathing and self-atonement. As Shannon shared, it's a conversation in her own mind that was absent of God. She was trying to atone for her own mistakes apart from God. So often, our sin surprises us. And so we try to fix it on our own, fix it in our mind, erase it as we rehearse it. Friends, Realize this, as we know our sin, realize you are far worse of a sinner than you, realize, you give yourself credit for. Part of battling this is knowing what real sin is and what just self-imposed laws are, but also part of battling this is realizing you're worse of a sinner than you realize. But this is not where things end. This is where your next villain is. Know your sin, but know your savior. Christ died for sinners whose guilt could only be taken away by his atoning sacrifice. And his sacrifice is enough. His work is once for all. It's permanent, overturning, and destroys the worst evil imaginable. Apart from Christ, you are capable of atrocities far worse than that fleeting thought that you have in your mind. Why should we be so surprised by those fleeting thoughts? The monologues that we wallow in in our heads about either true guilt or false guilt is never enough. Wallowing will not atone for our sin. All your penance, all your regrets, all your anxieties, all your sacrifices and self-atonement is not enough. Only the blood of Christ is enough. And that very sacrifice can embolden you to step into the light and forsake your sin. The sin of self-absorption as you're caught in your overthinking thoughts of guilt. Jesus has kept all the important standards. He has done everything that needs to be done and he has done it right. And any additional standard that you impose saps the vitality of that restful reality. Let's that joyful reality break the guilty grip of your obsession. 
You can break free from overthinking over your guilt by actually knowing what your sin is and basking in the love and forgiveness of your Savior. That's the second thing that commonly fuels our struggle with overthinking. We're going to go look at our final one, fear of man. This is actually going to be a video testimony from one of, the, one of your fellow students, Maddie from Lebanon Valley College. So let's hear from Maddie as she lets us into her struggle with fear of man. I struggle with overthinking about what people think about me. But you wouldn't really guess it because I love meeting new people. But overthinking for me meant fear of talking for most of my life because I wanted to know what the other person would think of me and what my words would do for the conversation in our relationship. When I was younger, I think that overthinking Overthinking got to the extreme that I was just scared to talk to people and approach others. But I knew I loved people and I liked talking. But when it got to that point, then I just thought, ah, I don't know what to do. And slowly realizing God is so much greater than all these other people. And his opinion is really what matters. So why am I getting so stressed out about what they're thinking when I just want to be pursuing God and honoring Him. In college, I see my overthinking stopping me from getting my homework done in time because I want to craft the right words and make sure that my professors are so pleased with what I'm doing and that they don't think, well, she really could have done better or what is she doing with her life? But it also stops me from really talking to people about Jesus and from bringing them into Bible studies and the things that really matter, I try and craft my words so that they won't be offended because I'm talking about religion in case that offends them, or they won't be weird because they think, I don't get what she's talking about. I should just start talking about it. And if it's exciting to me, then they might be interested. Even when I feel like I'm a Christian, I just wanna talk about Jesus, that doesn't mean that all of the overthinking stops because now all my thoughts are, is this the right time to talk to someone? Are these the right words? How are they going to feel after that? Uh, Maybe I don't need to tell them all of this, only a little bit of this, but when it comes down to it, God just tells me to share his word. And it's so comforting to read that and to say that to myself and then to share that with other people. In the book of Acts, When Paul, this guy who at first was very, no, Jesus, and then all of a sudden Jesus said, you are going to talk about me. And so Paul had to go in for it. And he had been traveling around for a while, and then Paul was called to go into Rome where everyone was trying to kill him. So his friends say, don't do it. We can do this and this and this. Paul says, no, for I consider my life worth nothing to me. And my only aim is to finish the race and complete the task the Lord Jesus has given me. And that task is to testify to the good news of God's grace, to tell everyone about Jesus. So if that was the one thing Paul had to do, regardless of whether he was going to die or get persecuted in Rome, he just had to do it. And that's so relieving to me that I don't have to worry about all the other options. I just have one calling and one confidence. 
and that is Jesus. Fear of man, as Maddie described, is a fear of what people think of you. What will other people think is often the refrain that plays in our minds. This can be expressed in excessive ruminations about conversations uh, and replaying personal interactions over and over again. As Maddie shared, this fear can often grow into a fear of making a mistake before the eyes of others. It increases our tentativeness in making decisions, answering questions, and offering opinions. It ironically backfires often because our desire to do what's right in the eyes of others often leads to a self-focus that ends up actually disregarding the needs of others. This is honestly the area of overthinking that I struggle with the most. In fact, in 2020 fall conference, I did a whole workshop called When You Care More About What People Think Than God Thinks. I highly suggest checking it out in the Disciple Makers archives. There's also many great resources and books about this as well. Like Ed Welch's book, When People Are Big and God Is Small. So, Battling our anxious and sticky thoughts when it comes to a fear of man begins with fearing God and finding acceptance through Jesus Christ. That's your, out, uh, your fill-in on your outline. Fear God. There are two kinds of fear. There are fears, there's a fear that is more a dread, a terror, or a fear in danger. And there's also a fear that is a reverence and awe and respect kind of fear. Often when we're talking about fear of man, the second type of fear is what we are talking about. This reverence, awe, respect kind of fear. And this kind of fear is very worship related. When we fear people, often it's not because we're actually in danger or we're terrified of harm, sometimes, but often not. It's because we typically think too highly of what that person or those people think of us. In other words, we fear those people in a reverence, awe, and respect kind of way. It's the classic movie scene where you're in a high school and the popular kids are walking down the hallway and their hair is blowing in the wind in slow motion and they're just tossing their head back laughing. And all the other kids who aren't as popular are standing on the sides by the lockers, staring at them, jaws dropping, just drooling and hoping to be just like them. It's almost a scene of worship. We look at those people, they look at those people and they're consumed by what they think, wanting to be like them in a reverence, in an awe, in a respect kind of way. They fear them. We can see with this kind of fear that what we fear is often what we worship. Fear of man often comes from an issue of worship. Let me say that again. Fear of man often comes because of an issue of worship. In order to combat this, our consuming thought patterns of what people think of us, you have to replace your fear of man 
your worship of man with a fear of God. Jesus talks about it in this way in Matthew 10. We're just going to look at verse 28 to start. And do not fear those who kill the body, but cannot kill the soul. Rather fear him who can destroy both soul and body in hell. Jesus is trying to give us a perspective here by way of comparison. He's comparing power. People might feel more powerful because you can tangibly see them and you feel the cost of their rejection. But Jesus is saying there is a bigger power at play, a spiritual power at play, a God who can throw you into hell, who is holy, who is big, who is in control. When you compare God versus the people that we fear, who will you worship? Our time here on earth is short and eternity is long. Fear the God, fear God, who is our hope, both in life and in death. Spend time dwelling on his power. There are some books that were out there on the table about holiness. Maybe pick up one of those books, learn and read about God's holiness, this big God who demands our respect and awe when we are captivated by the holiness and power of God, our captivation of people begins to shrink. Our worship of God will grow when we fear him. But our worship of God will also grow when we we begin to realize and find acceptance through Jesus Christ. That's your next fill-in. Find acceptance through Jesus Christ. If we continue to read Jesus's words in Matthew 10, we find some incredible truths. It says, starting in verse 29, are not two sparrows sold for a penny? And not one of them will fall to the ground apart from your father. But even the hairs on your head are numbered. Fear not, therefore, you are more valuable than many sparrows. Verse 28 We just read that it says that you should fear God who has the power to cast your soul into hell. But then two verses later in verse 30, it says, fear not. We should have this reverence and all kind of fear of God and not a dread and terror kind of fear. But why? Because we are accepted into God's family. Did you see those familial words, those profound truths, where it says in verse 29, your father who knows the number of hairs on your head, you are a part of God's family and he intimately loves and knows you. He even is attentive to the seemingly unimportant details like the hairs on your head. We are sinners who are not only forgiven through Jesus Christ and saved from hell, but children brought into the family of God. How is this possible? How can sinners be brought into a holy God's family? The answer is Jesus Christ. We are brought into the family of God because God sent his family, 
his only son to earth. And he was rejected by people. So that those very people who reject him have an opportunity to be accepted by him. When they trust his death in their place, it brings them in to the family. The God of the universe went to the extent of killing his own son so that you could be sons and daughters in his family. If these truths sink into our hearts and our minds, those pervasive fears of rejection and what people think of us start to ease and a deep-seated security that God loves you and accepts you starts to sink and settle in. This is how you can break free from the overthinking of what people think of you. It's by growing in a fear of God and embracing the acceptance brought to you through your Savior. In conclusion, as I mentioned in the beginning, my hope and prayer is that this workshop begins to give you hope and a direction for breaking free from the tyranny of overthinking. You might have noticed that for each one of these three heart struggles, I simply shared the gospel with you. Although it was nuanced in a specific way to speak to that specific struggle. Because as Christians, real change comes from remembering and applying the gospel. If you don't know what the gospel is, it's simply this, that Jesus has died in your place for our sins. Well, this is simple truth. It actually is complex in the applying of it into our lives. It's hard to remember these, the truth of the gospel and how it nuances to the specific struggle. And it's because our hearts are not built like cars in an assembly line, where once a truth is acquired, we can move on to a new station of Christian maturity without returning to an earlier stage of our development. We are not cars in an assembly line. No, our hearts easily forget the gospel, doubt its power, and get distracted from its purposes. That's why we often have to go back to the truths of the gospel and remember them to ease our anxious, sticky, overthinking thoughts. What are those pervasive thoughts that brought you into the room today? What are you overthinking right now? I'd encourage you to talk to friends and mentors about this. I'll be sticking around a little bit. I'd love to continue to engage in conversation with you about this. Our God is big. Our God is powerful and brings hope and healing, particularly when we take time to slow down and ponder what is actually driving our thoughts. And then we put biblical words to it. When we do this, suddenly the Bible comes to life. I'm going to pray to close us here in a moment. But if you look on the scripture side of your outline, I have two questions there. I would love for you either to personally just think through these questions yourself. What area of overthinking do you struggle with the most? And in what ways can God 
God provide hope and healing in this struggle? Either just spend some time reflecting on this yourself or talk to the people around you. But I'm gonna close us in prayer. Let's pray. Lord, I thank you so much for drawing near, for dwelling with us and and walking alongside us, even in our pervasive and intrusive and unwanted thoughts. Help us to understand our hearts and understand what's driving them. Help us to cast our anxieties onto you. Help us to apply the gospel and to bring true and life-changing change to our hearts and our minds. Pray all these things in your name. Amen.